Welcome to the Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. I may get to announcements at the end, but I, I really just want to jump right into this. Um, so as my mom referenced, I, some of you may have heard last Sunday's message or may have been here. Maybe you were not, but we're, we're picking up a story that's in progress. And so God's people had been brought out of Babylonian captivity. Oh, okay, I do need to pause and do one thing. Middle school, high school kids, you are dismissed to your class. So I'll make that announcement. You are free to go. Have a wonderful time, guys. Thank you for getting my attention, Caleb. Um, but this work had begun, and, and like miraculously, like a pagan king, Cyrus, had decreed that the Jewish people were supposed to go back to their land, to their city, and to build a temple to their God. He had decreed it. He had funded it. And so we, we see this in Ezra, in some of the early chapters of Ezra's book. Um, and so the people go and they return with this leader, Zerubbabel. And he's, he's in the line of kings, but he's not in a place of kingship because they're still subservient to another government. So he's, he's like a governor. You know, he's like a regional director. And so he leads the people back. They begin rebuilding the temple. Um, they get the altar set up. They get the foundation laid. Um, and, and they worship God. And then the interruption that was referenced comes. Enemy opposition. Their own compromise. And in the midst of that opposition, the work comes to a halt completely. And for 16 years, it lies dormant. And so last Sunday, we focused on Haggai chapter one, where God prompts Haggai the prophet to, to call the people to consider their ways. And so that was the message from the Lord. Consider your ways. You've arranged your lives, and yet my house lies in ruins. Priorities are out of whack. And so let's reprioritize. So they're invited to consider their ways. And the way Haggai chapter one ends, the people do that. They have responsive hearts. They, they see the Lord's invitation to consider how they've been operating, how they've been living, and they respond in obedience, like they trust him. And so the way it comes to a conclusion is where we're gonna pick up this morning. They set their hands back to the work. The interruption stops and they set their hands back to the work. And, and the Lord says something right at the end of Haggai chapter one. He just says, I'm with you. I'm with you. You've heard my prompting to consider your ways. I'm with you. And it says that he stirred up their spirits from the top down, from their leadership down to the everyday person. They, their spirits were stirred for the work and he was with them. And so this morning is, is Haggai chapter two and it's consider your ways part two. We have the same title and it has a completely different meaning. See, last week in chapter one, we were prompted by God to consider our ways. He says, consider your ways. And now friends, the call this morning is for us to consider his ways. 
but more than that, like we can consider his ways from like a place of safety or from a distance, like an observer. But I left the title the same because it's personal. Consider your ways. The only way to say that is as a prayer. God, I am going to consider your ways. You have to say it to him or the grammar doesn't make sense. Y'all tracking with me? Uh, you didn't know you were signing up for like an English grammar lesson and I'm, I'm probably gonna butcher even that. But it, this is the invitation this morning for us to go, okay, Lord, yes, there is a place for you inviting us to reflect on our hearts and our positioning and how we're living. But listen, guys, the gospel, the good news is not about what we do. The good news is about him and who he is and what he does. The reason that this word makes sense of like words, we're just saying his name and everything takes care of itself. Yeah. It's not the mantra of saying his name. It's recognizing who he is and what resides in his realm of power and authority and ability. The things he wants done, he's gonna do them. Our, our part in this is like minuscule. It matters. Like a surrendered heart and a willingness to follow matters, but he does the work. And so in Haggai chapter two, this is what we see. And so I wanna invite you, I'm gonna pray one more time and I, I, I'm really gonna try to just let the scripture speak for itself. Like I'm gonna read some scripture. I'm gonna give just little moments of commentary along the way, but I, I want us to just pause and consider his ways. And so purpose right now in your heart to make this personal, you and him. So let's pray this together. God, our intent, our gracious father in heaven, Jesus, the beloved son of God, our savior and our Lord, the one who's in charge, Holy Spirit, the one who dwells, who feels, who is present, who empowers us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, we purpose in our hearts this morning to consider your ways. God, if there's any part of us that has been nervous, resistant, distant from you, God, I, I pray that you would break those walls down. God, our prayer this morning is not that we would be outside observers of your good ways towards other people, but that God, we would see your ways towards us, our God, that we would see you for who you are and what you are up to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We're gonna be in Haggai chapter two and what runs right aligned with Haggai chapter two is Ezra five and the first part of Ezra six. So we'll be there as well. But we're gonna pick this up right at the beginning of Haggai chapter two. I wanna read verses one through three. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. I just wanna pause right here. You know, Haggai gives a lot of detail in this very short letter. He repeats people's names, and titles. He's very specific with dates. And so this date is meant to anchor us. This is one month in. God had just spoken after 16 years of pause. 
and they're one month into the work and God speaks again. That encourages me. One month in, God speaks and he encourages them. Verse two, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. So that's their, their leader. And to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. So God has a personal message for every single one of them. And say to them, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Like they've set their hands to the work there a month in and it's like, man, this looks overwhelming. This looks impossible. And even if we accomplish this, how is this gonna compare to Solomon's temple? Like the level of money and finance and detail that went into Solomon's temple and they're just going, this can't possibly measure up to that. Like the the vision that you gave and what's actually gonna happen, isn't it surely gonna fall short? He's saying, how do you see things? In other words, like there's this, this question of God, is this gonna be worth it? Like, is this a false hope? Is there any hope? Remember, there's lots of work in front of them. They had been promised 16 years prior for some funding. Well, that king is long gone. And the king that was next in line had put a stop to the work. And now there's this third kind of new king just, to, just in year two. So there are a couple of kings removed. Like they're not known. The person that they're underneath his leadership isn't even, this isn't even on his radar. And they've started back a work that God has initiated without anyone's approval. They've not gotten approval from the king. And so they're facing lots of work, no funding. The last time they were working, there was massive opposition from the local people and there's about to be again. And there's the potential wrath of the king as they are ignoring the edict to stop the work. That's opposition. You ever felt like you've hit a moment of opposition like that? Or like go down the list. It's just like everything's in the way of this. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just me. I don't know. Can y'all relate? Yeah. Massive opposition. What I love about this is the Lord sees this. The initial excitement is worn off, right? When the Lord speaks through Haggai and it's like, hey, we're doing this. We doing it? We're in, we're doing it? Yeah, let's go. All right. And now they've been doing it for a month. And reality starts to set in. Oh man, (laughs) what did we get ourselves into? How much trouble is this gonna cause? Can we really do this? Do we have it within us to pull this off? And God shows up and he says, I see you. I see you. And he he encourages them. So after he goes, hey, I kind of get where you're at. I see the things you might be wrestling with. Now look at his message, verses four and five. Yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Do you see how personal he's making it? I see you, I see how you're feeling, I see where you're at. Be strong, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you 
declares the Lord of hosts. I love that title, Lord of hosts. He's like reminding them his authority. Like the hosts of heaven are at my beck and call. This thing in front of you that seems impossible or difficult or overwhelming, be strong, do the work because the Lord of hosts is with you. Verse five, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. The Lord speaks a word of encouragement. He's not saying to them, you're enough. This isn't a self-help message. This isn't come to grips with how strong and powerful you are. No, he says, I see exactly where you are and that you're feeling like you don't have what it takes. And he doesn't give them some false message of you've got this, you're enough, be strong. He says, I, the Lord of hosts, am in your midst, so be strong and fear not. You don't have to get your eyes on yourself and how you're gonna try to accomplish this. I've got this, I've got you. He confirms his presence to them and that is enough. It's enough. Everything else we're gonna see next flows out of this. This is the message. He's got it, he's present, he's enough. Now the beauty is the story unfolds in more detail because we get to see that on display. But he is enough. Verses six through eight now. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. There's this really cool thing that happens throughout the scripture where there will be these moments of like prophetic words spoken by the Lord, these moments of prophecy. And God is able to speak on this level where he'll speak into the moment and he'll speak something eternal at the same time. And so there are things he's saying here that just ring true. They are eternal truths. There's a shaking that's coming and there's a provision that's coming that will be eternal. And that is found in Christ. And it's fulfilled, it has been fulfilled at the cross and resurrection and it will be fully confirmed at his second coming. But he also shows up with these promises like in the here and now. Like he's saying to a people who are in a tough spot, like they're surrounded by opposing nations. There's people in their backyard who are opposed to them. As long as they acclimate to that culture, everything's fine. But when they stand apart, set apart for the Lord, the nations around them are opposed to them. And they're under a government leadership that is fine as long as they're paying taxes and doing all the things that are required and following those rules. But if, if the Lord calls them to anything that would oppose their government leadership, there's trouble. But God's saying, don't fret about the nations around you. Don't fret about your lack of provision. All the gold's mine. All the silver's mine. I've got this. And so God promises his encouragement to them here in this opening part of this letter a month in is what, whatever reality might be looking like to you as you step back into this, I want you to know that my presence is with you and I want you to know that my provision is with you. 
Y'all hearing this? His presence and his provision. And he says, it's gonna be worth it. My glory is gonna fill this house. Verse nine. I love this. He could have stopped right there and it'd be really good news, but he's circling back to those folks who've been around a while. To those folks who've walked with him for a bit. And they had seen the former glory and they've seen how far removed from that they now are. They've seen the temple in shambles and they're grappling with the reality of it's not gonna look like that again. And he says to them in verse nine, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give Peace declares the Lord of hosts. How is this possible? Solomon's temple and this one that they're cobbling together from spare parts? <laughs> How is it possible? Because of where the real glory lies. It lies in the presence of God. It lies in the presence of God in these jars of clay, these broken vessels, though we are. It lies in the power of God to show up in that temple and say, you know what's gonna make this temple more glorious? I'm gonna walk these halls. I'm gonna enter this space. And when I come, I'm gonna bring peace. What temple did Jesus walk into? Was it Solomon's temple? It's this one. This is the temple that Jesus showed up and walked into when he brought peace. And what happened when he said, I've finished my work, it's done, it is finished. One of the things that happened is a really important veil was torn in two. And that sacred place where the presence of God resides, where only the high priest once a year, covered by the blood, could go in, that dividing wall was gone. And the presence of God is available to you and I. And so we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Guys, like I can't even wrap my head around that. The presence of God, he's enough. Man, I, I so, I'm so focused so much of my life on my lack. Now it's actually good if I'm focused on my lack and realize he's with me, so I've got everything I need. The problem is I focus on my lack and forget who he is and that he's with me and he's in me and he's for me. And so his promise as they set their hands to the work is that I'm with you, I'm gonna provide everything that you need and this is gonna be worth it. This is gonna be worth it. These are not empty promises. My glory is gonna fill this temple. So be strong and don't be afraid. That's his message. Praise God. That's one month into the work. Fast forward a little bit, two months later, now three months into the work, God shows up to bless them again. He shows up to bless them again. Haggai 2, 10 through 14. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, 
the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? Now, just if you're pausing right here going, how in the world is this some encouraging thing that the Lord is sharing? What is going on here? Just pay attention to this. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and now it touches something else, does the other thing become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. This sounds weird. It sounds like, why are we hanging out in Leviticus again? Like it sounds weird. It doesn't even necessarily sound encouraging. Listen to the message, guys. What he's saying is that when we bring something holy ourselves and we bring it into, in touch with something common, we can't make it holy. Like I can't take the holy and bring it over here into the common and make it holy. That doesn't work. And, and I also can't bring something unclean and make it holy myself. I can't fix the problem. And my hands aren't sufficient for the work by myself. I need an outside source. That's the beauty of this. He's reminding them in the midst of this work, yeah, you know what? You are an unclean people. Like you've blown it. You've fallen short. You neglected the work. You compromised with the nations. But I am your God and I am with you. And the thing you can't do, I can. There was a moment years ago, um, like 14 and a half years ago now, Micah was just about to turn four, had just turned four, and we'd been in the process of adopting my son from Ukraine. And um, when it was time to bring him home, Amy was pretty pregnant at that point, like a few months left, some, second trimester, third trimester. So I went to Ukraine to bring Micah home. And so I get there, I pick him up, we go through kind of the process, and now we're staying in a little like one bedroom apartment in downtown Kiev, and we're staying there for a few days trying to get our visa stuff in order so we can come home. And I am awakened in the middle of the night at like 3 a.m. with this by this little boy who doesn't understand English, um, can't communicate, and he's kind of getting my attention. And so at first I'm thinking, oh, this is okay. He needs some help, or maybe he's scared, right? Who's this weird guy? Who's my dad now? That's unfamiliar. And he comes in and he wakes me up. And the best way I can relate this to you, and this is gonna seem weird, but when I began to realize what was happening to him and why he was waking me, me up, my reaction was like in the first Godfather movie when the guy wakes up and there's a horse head there and he goes, and he's like grossed out. Micah was covered in his own poop. There's just, what, like, what's the right word there? Is there a more gentle word I could have used? 
He's covered in it. The bed I'm sleeping in is now covered in it. The couch he had been sleeping on in the living room is covered in it. And I'm like, I am overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? Well, that's the reaction he'd been having. It became very clear he was trying to clean it up. He had made a mess. He was trying to clean it up. And as he's cleaning it up, what's he doing? Is he making it better? No, 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 no. He's making it a lot worse. But he finally reached the point where he realized, I gotta go ask that dude, who's supposed to be my dad now, to help me. It's the first time in our relationship where he asked for help. And he was completely overwhelmed with the mess that he had made that had gotten all over him. And you know what? To help him, it had to get all over me. Now, I didn't have this beautiful moment with the Lord at 3 a.m. right then, but thank God he redeemed this story a little while later as he reminded me of his goodness in his heart where he is willing to get his hands dirty, where he will step into our mess and he'll clean it up. He loves us enough to do that. And so God is not, like, I don't believe in this moment here. He's trying to make them feel bad. He's further highlighting, guys, I've got you. I see your need for me and I've got you and I'm gonna bless you. And what I love about this, you know, this temple that they're working on, where they're, they're being reminded here of their uncleanness and their inability even to do the work themselves. This is the same temple that I just mentioned that Jesus came into. Well, think about this for a minute. At the start of Jesus' ministry, he walks into this temple and what does he do? Anybody know? John chapter two. What does he do when he walks into this temple to start his ministry? He cleans house. He cleans house. He drives out the money changers. He knocks, he cleans house. Now, the gospel writers aren't confused as the story is repeated. The other gospel writers tell us that when Jesus comes to the temple for the last time, he walks in and what does he do? He cleans house. The week he's walking into Jerusalem to go to the cross, he cleans house once again. And these guys remember this story and there's two things they say about Jesus here. They, they note that zeal for God's house consumes him. He is passionate about God's house and he's gonna take care of getting it cleaned up where it needs to be. And the other thing they note is that he says, this house is to be a house of prayer. That's all about presence. That's all about spending time with him. Our God is passionate about us. He's passionate about cleaning us up, setting things in order. He's willing to get his hands dirty and do the work because he's passionate about being present with us. He's passionate about being in communion, us with him. See, it's, it's back where he started. The good news is, he's present. The good news is he provides. The good news is he cleanses. And so that's what the Lord does. He cleanses and he renews. Haggai chapter two, 
verses 15 through 19 now. Now then consider from this day onward. Remember, he's saying in light of your uncleanness that you can't fix yourself. Now consider from this day onward. One came to a heap of 20 measures and there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing but... Aren't you grateful for those, those buts in scripture? But from this day on, I will bless you. The blessing is based upon him, his work, his presence, his commitment to cleanse and renew. They just position themselves to say, yeah, yes, God. Yes to you, yes to that. We need your presence. Now, what I love about this is while this work is happening, right in the middle of these passages here, these few months as the work has started and God is reminding them of his presence and his provision and his cleansing, something is happening that is out of their hands. And so Ezra gives us a little insight into this. So here we go, Ezra chapter five, verses one through five. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu. Anybody know how to, do that, to pronounce that one? You're like, no, that's your job, bro. Sorry. <laughs> Prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So Ezra is saying, he's saying in a couple of sentences what we've been studying in Haggai. They started back the work. Haggai's encouraging him. There's another prophet there that we're not getting into in this series, but Zechariah is there. They're being encouraged in the work. They're being supported. They got started. So what happens? Same thing that happened 16 years prior. Verse three, at the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. The area around them goes, hold up. This is not supposed to be happening. And they come to them and say, who gave you a decree to build this house and finish this structure? And they also asked them, what are the names of the men who are building this building? What do you think you're doing and who do you think you are? And I want your names. Like we're, we're, you're about to be held accountable for this. But the eye of, the, of their God was on the elders of the Jews. Man opposes, but God is supporting and his eye is upon them. And so they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. So even though they were opposed, they were strengthened. 
They were unafraid. Remember what they were just told by Haggai. They were strengthened and unafraid because God was with them. So they kept doing the work while this tension is unresolved. And so the people that are opposing them there couldn't stop it. They're still gonna bring their report to Darius to try to stop it, but the work continued. And so the work is progressing Trouble seems to be brewing. But what I love about this is the people just go, cool, here's our names, here's our info, go do whatever you're gonna do. And they kept working. They trusted God. And so you you should read the whole letter that this guy writes to Darius. It's in Ezra 5, it's verses six through 17. Um, but, But Zerubbabel and the leaders give him some direction. They go, okay, you wanna know why we're doing this? Here's why. And so here's a snippet of that, verses 11 through 13 of Ezra 5. And so this guy is writing, here's what they told us when we confronted them for rebuilding this. They told us, their reply to us was, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because of our fathers who angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. They just answered honestly. Our God commissioned this work. Our ancestors blew it. We paid the consequences of that. But God, through the hand of Cyrus, initiated this work and we are setting ourselves to complete it. And so he turns in the letter and at the end of the letter, he says, therefore, this is verse 17, therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. From all outside appearances, it is now in Darius's hands. But there's a God in heaven. There is the Lord of hosts and he is with his people. And when he initiated to Cyrus to build this, if you were here last Sunday, I mentioned it briefly in passing, Cyrus made the decree and had it recorded And so they go to the archives, they do a bunch of digging. This isn't like pull up the laptop and find the records on the Google Drive. Like they gotta go to an actual place and dig through records from three three kings ago, 16 years ago, to see if they could track down. Think how many decrees Cyrus and on down the line have made in 16 years over all the regions that they govern. but God has a plan. Ezra 6, verse seven. Darius has found the records and he discovers Cyrus' original declaration and he sends word by the hand of those who oppose God's people. He sends word to them and through them. And this is what he says in a nutshell. I'm gonna read two of the verses. Ezra 6, 7. Darius says, let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. God has cleansed, God has renewed, and God is protecting. 
And then he goes on, verse eight, moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue and the tribute of the province from beyond the river. Did y'all catch that? Do you remember where this guy is from? The province beyond the river. Hey buddy, you're gonna go back with the news that this work is not to be stopped. I'm gonna fund it and so are you because the gold is mine, says the Lord, and the silver is mine, says the Lord. And this place, its latter glory shall be greater than its former glory. And who's gonna accomplish it? The really smart leadership of Zerubbabel? The really hard, creative, faithful work of God's people? No, they're the ones who by the strength of their hands can't do it. They don't have enough. They're unclean and they're broken, but he is their God and they are his people. And so the hand of the Lord of hosts is gonna accomplish it. Praise God. Guys, we've gotta get a hold of this, not just as an ancient story that's really cool and fun to reflect on. This is who our God is. This is what he does. And so he protects and he provides and he cleanses and he renews. And all of this flows from the fact that he is present to act on their behalf because they are his people and he loves them. And so as Haggai said in in Haggai 2.19, from this day on, I will bless you. Now, I have no scriptural basis to back this up, but I believe it. Haggai records very specifically the day that the Lord says from this day forward, I will bless you. And I have a feeling that this is the same day where Darius had gotten the letter, gone into the records and was now making his decree for protection and provision. I believe that. Now, whether that's right or not, I know that God's word is true and that he did bless the word. And they did experience that from this day forward when God decreed it. Now we could end there and the story could end there, but I wanna give you one tidbit as we prepare to go because this is what I'm, I'm inviting my own heart to do. Like this is what I need to do. And this is what I wanna invite you to do. As this, this encouragement from the Lord, this prophecy through Haggai is completed, it ends on a very personal note. There's one last little word right to Zerubbabel. Haggai 2 closes like this, beginning in verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the the throne of kingdoms and I'm to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. God's saying, I have put my seal, my mark on you. 
It gets very personal. He's getting this message of encouragement the same day they were all told to be encouraged that God is gonna bless them going forward. They don't have the news yet of what's happening back in the capital. They don't have the news yet that the protection is coming and the funds are coming, that the nations, their surrounding enemies are about to support the work that's being done. And Zerubbabel has told this in a very personal way. And what I love about this, this idea that he's like a signet ring. Remember what we looked at last Sunday? He's in the line of Christ. He has an inheritance in the line of Christ. He's listed both in Matthew's gospel chapter one and Luke's gospel chapter three. And so this broad message of God's provision and his encouragement and his personal seal upon his life, he says, Zerubbabel, this is for you. Friends, this is for us too. We are told in the New Testament that we are sealed. We are sealed by the Lord, that we are in his line and we have a grand inheritance. As Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed. With what? The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Friends, the promises of God are faithful and true and they are eternal and they were for his people back then and they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection and he is coming again one day for you and I and the God who has spoken will accomplish it. And the seal, the promise that we have is the best thing. It's not the gold, it's not the silver, it's, it's his presence. His presence is enough. My encouragement is that we would not just know that it's like possible that God is true and he accomplishes promises and yes, he's doing all these big things throughout history, but that we would receive this personally from the Lord, that he sees you and he knows you, that you are his child and he is with you and he will accomplish it. And whether this word this morning was for you, like that pause, that interruption, whether that's for you or not, it will be someday. You'll get stuck. You'll get stuck because of maybe your own making, your own mistakes, your own shortcomings. You'll get stuck because of enemy opposition. But he is with you and he is for you. And he will accomplish what he, he will accomplish what he has promised to accomplish. Hold on to him. He'll cleanse, he'll renew, he'll protect, he'll provide. He will be with you. Even when everything around you says otherwise, he'll be with you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise you, God. God, we do consider your ways. Thank you that you are our God. And we are your people. We praise you. God, may we have eyes to recognize your faithful presence. Help us to trust you. Thank you that you cleanse us. Lord, if we're in need of that specifically today, we call out to you for that. God, would you cleanse us of our sin?
Wash us fresh and new of all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that you have gotten your hands dirty on our behalf. Lord, if we need a renewed sense of hope, a renewed sense of just putting our hands back to the work, may we be filled with the truth that you are with us, that your spirit empowers us, that it's not based on our might or on our power, but on your spirit, oh God. That you will protect and you will provide. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.